1: I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Muera Karatai. Kia ora, Muera. Sam, how goes it? Very well indeed. What do you think is going to happen in the States today?
0: Uh, I think that Donald Trump will lose his election, but will the whole thing will be tied up in litigation until, I don't know, the end of our natural lives. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think will happen?
1: i think something similar
0: Mm.
1: it's looking it's looking pretty uncomfortable isn't it we shall see who are we introducing today
0: today it is my great pleasure to introduce associate professor sarah walton Uh, she's a teacher and researcher in the area of sustainability and business and and does so with a future focus She's the director of the Master of Sustainable Business, chairs the postgraduate committee and postgraduate processes in the department. She is the, a um, co-chair of the Otago Climate Change Network um, and just does so much cool stuff in the area of sustainability. And I'm blown away, actually, and it's really lovely to have you here, Sarah. Thank you for joining us.
2: Lovely to be here too.
1: Welcome, Sarah. How was your bubble life?
2: Oh, bubble life was busy, like many people, because, you know, pitching and changing courses to going online and having um, two children at home. Luckily, though, we're just the year before NCEA, so it wasn't as stressful as what it could have been. Um, but I still learnt, you know, year 10 maths again, which, <laughs> you know, has been really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't ask me any questions again about that. Um, it's still gone out of my brain. Um, but yeah, but I mean, walking the dog and connecting with the neighbourhood was perhaps some of the really positives that came out of uh, um, lockdown. Where so I'm in um, Pacific Street in Roslyn, and um, and we had a, a really some nice occasions on our street. Of course, were, with social distancing.
1: Were you able to to get out and, and walk around, or was it just around the block with the dog?
2: Um, well, I try to stay in my neighbourhood as much as possible, um, but we have a, a German short hair pointer cross, and he's pretty energetic, so he sort of needs a few times around the block, and sort of a wee bit to the park as well.
1: And you were working as well?
2: Yep, yep, so, um, I had two courses running in the first semester, both of which were put online, um, and that was done... Uh, you know at the university we all sort of had about three or four days to put our courses online Um, so that was uh, interesting it's a lot of work to put courses online and um, a lot of things that you say when you're talking in class but when you actually have to get the message across via online uh, I found it was how to get clear communication was probably the biggest lesson for me.
1: Did you find that the jokes worked with with no one on the other end?
2: yeah no I'm not (laughs) sure they work when I'm in the classroom either
1: (laughs) but it is hard when you're doing that kind of doing a lecture to to nothing because you're not getting the feedback because normally you are bouncing off people even if it's a big theatre
2: yeah I found and the sort of energy that you get from the class you just really missed and the thing I really missed was getting to know my students quite personally and um, I didn't You know, you don't see them every week. You don't know who they are. But they still know who I am when I'm walking around university, but I don't know who they are to stop and have a chat to them. So some of them have come and knocked on my door and said, I'm so-and-so from your class. It's nice to meet you. And that's been fantastic Um, because otherwise I just don't know who some of them are. And I feel quite sad about that.
1: Did you not get to meet them before you went online?
2: Yeah, but we only had about sort of three weeks and there's about 60... I think about 60 uh, in my 300 level class. So um, I've, I didn't really get to know um, many of them, which, yeah, I found unfortunate. My 400 level students, um, who are also part of the Masters of Sustainable Business, I got to know them quite well. Um, and so that was fine. They, they were always there every week as well. So I quite enjoyed that.
1: How long has the Masters of Sustainable Business been a thing?
2: It's been going for four years. Um And the last two years, we've had quite a good jump in numbers. So we have about 16 students in that course, um, and they're coming from around the world. We've got quite a few inquiries for next year, and we're going to have it run fully distance and then an on-campus option as well.
1: How is it structured?
2: It has seven 400-level papers, and um, four of which are core and then three of which are electives from around the university, and then a project over summer. So right now the students are all getting ready to do their various projects, uh, mostly within organisations or with organisations, and usually some sort of business real-world problem, which is pretty cool.
1: And I've just invented a classification of business people that are learning sustainability, sustainability people that are learning business, and people that are in both already. What sort of split do you get?
2: Um, probably mostly, oh, yeah, mostly business learning sustainability, um, particularly those who are already out in the workplace are realising how important it is to have an understanding of sustainability or really want to make a difference in that area, which is pretty cool. And then you do have some, like you say, who have done the sustainability but actually realise that. They can make quite an impact in the business world, but need to understand a bit about that to go and do it.
1: Let's go to the first of your music choices. Let's have Trinity Roots' Little Things. please. please. Thank okay. you. Able to talk to students about the intersection between sort of COVID response, pandemic, and sustainability?
2: Yeah, we did have um, quite a talk about that because I think um, you have something big like COVID, it impacts on sustainability. It's interesting though, like last time with the GFC, it was quite a move away from sustainability and just this real survival mode, but we don't see that now with COVID. In fact, There might be a bit of that, but more we see the fact that it's given even more importance to understanding impacts, particularly of climate change on um, business and society, um, because we've realised now with this impact from COVID, what the impacts which will be bigger from climate change could actually result in. So we had quite a few conversations around that.
1: Did did, Did... Covid, the, the pandemic, and the shutdowns, and so on, did that change what the the students were thinking about in terms of their I don't know if, if their, their their business ideas.
2: Hmm. I don't I don't know if it changed it probably um, helped strengthen it. Um, I th- the students had the you know some had that anxiety around it, particularly when we went into the second lockdown as to how their course was going to go and whether there was going to be any appetite for their project. Um, but I think the general ideas around sustainability, are, are, because the cohort's very passionate about the topic already, um, with, they didn't uh, seem to be f- too phased by um, COVID, I would say, and you know, still stuck to their core ideals around it.
1: Do they have to, within the courses, do they have to have sort of business um, or entrepreneurial ideas that they develop?
2: Um, one of the courses that and I've just taught it now is on sustainable entrepreneurship. And in that course I um I poached the um great Dunedin idea, was it? The the um sort of competition they had recently and the students um, had to see if they could develop a business based upon that. So we did um, try that. We also had a, a live case study in that course of Otakanui to look at a business that is being affected and impacted by the lack of international visitors and to try and see what strategies and ideas they had to um, help them sort of in the near future. So we've, um, COVID was sort of front and centre of uh, that course in terms of thinking um, Post COVID, and, and in two different types of um, organisations.
1: What do you think is the role of a, a positive vision of the world? I, mean, I think we've had these sorts of discussions before. That that you, like me, don't spend a long time dwelling on the the sustainability as a bad thing. This, this is an op, This is the sustainability is the is the way out of the problems. It's not the problem.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And the same with um COVID. I see that we have an opportunity now to actually reset and think about the way in which we want to operate. Particularly, you know, when we're doing sort of a um, mass recovery with quite a significant amount of money, how we um choose to use that money, I think, is really important. But yeah, the same, exactly the same with sustainability. Um, it is a, um an opportunity, and it's a, definitely an opportunity to move forward. And and I think um, future thinking as well is is really important. But and I'm kind of a bit passionate about this at the moment around low carbon economies. I think that when people hear low carbon economies, they think that it means that the economies come to a halt and we see everything you know stopping and there's no jobs and there's no employment, there's no growth. But actually, I think that. You know, it doesn't have to mean that at all. In fact, it probably won't mean that. It could actually mean higher skilled roles um, and higher skilled jobs and employment, but in maybe different styles of industry, types of industry. So um, so what I, I'm wanting to do at the moment is to start to develop um, scenarios around that so people can see concrete examples of how these economies might work. And I think that goes back to that idea around um, future visions and helping them be more positive and helping people see different scenarios that might arise where they can see themselves working in a more concrete way.
1: That's quite a different positioning of sustainability than the thou shall not because that's what a lot of the stuff is that we do have to stop consuming so much so there's, there's a strong well we can't do that you've got to stop doing that message but it sounds like these these scenarios are about flipping that that story.
2: Yeah, I'd quite like to flip that story. And while I understand the, um, the you know, the need to, to stop consuming, I also think it's important to think about stop consuming in the way that we are currently consuming um, and actually, you know, get a lot smarter with how we consume, what we consume and how we deal with the end result of that consumption, i.e. the waste. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think we've got to start flipping it and moving away um, from you know the thou shall not position in order to actually start shifting people's imaginations, because that's what we need. Um, we need that imagination and people thinking about this future world and what they're going to be able to do in that future world. That's, to me, hopefully going to make a lot more sense in terms of things like circular economies and those kind of things. They seem to make more sense in terms of our, our ecosystem and the current planet in which we operate
1: on. So how do you get the students to have that imagination? I mean, you and I know that most of the, the, the student projects that come through the student competitions like Audacious are, are pretty narrowly solving a problem that's right in front of them. They don't tend to have that, 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 that vision to think of a bigger or contribution to a better world.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. I once remember speaking to a student about their um, their idea for Audacious, and it was a um, procrastination app. And I said, you know, I'd never need one of those. And they looked at me like I'd arrived from another planet. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he's sort of like, yeah, I need more time, um, not a procrastination app. So it, it is quite difficult. Um, so I do a few things, and I think working through assessment is what I try to do, and particularly in my class. So having assessment that challenges, but also having assessment that I'm wanting to understand how students um, think and how they bring their thoughts together and that there's no right answer, and they're starting to help develop their thoughts around some of the things they do. So they do like a carbon footprint, for example, and then they have talk about that in relation to how they think about sustainability and what they might do. So it's, you know, now I say to them, I don't, really care what you think so much but I care how you argue what you're saying and how you put your ideas together and where you're getting those ideas from and how and how you create your argument and uh, and then the exam for my particularly my paper around business and um, sustainability is the so the students have to write a scenario in their exam and it's this year it's like out to 2040 I give them a couple of I think there's about three different ways they can tackle that scenario and one of them is just a day in your life in 2040 and so and the first thing I tell them to do is just go and watch YouTube videos for two hours Because you need to just sit down and think about as many different ideas out there as possible and then start thinking about, you know, bringing those ideas together. And the second part of the exam is writing a justification for that scenario. So why does that they put all those different ideas together? So I get the best exams ever to mark because they are all different. They're all really interesting. Um, And, uh, you know, I I spend a a few days just reading how students feel the future is going to be for them.
1: How many of them? rely on a technological miracle there's there's going to be some miracle fuel or just around the corner we can carry on having the party we're having now or are they past that
2: yeah yeah i when i first started doing the exam question because i've been doing it a while because it works really nicely to pull the whole course together i first started doing i had a lot of green utopia um and and i must say it was i probably find that a little bit boring and also it was hard to justify really the green utopias they were talking about and, and I don't know whether I consciously did it or whether I sort of tried to switch the course, but I had a lot more, I think, in the course about resource scarcity and just started bringing in some aspects around energy and um, return on investment and, and some, you know, thinking about um, what we do in order to keep our planet going in its current business as usual um, and what that might mean for the future. and but I think generally in terms of the discourse around climate change that we're seeing as well, I think a combination of things mean that now I tend to get more sort of realistic um scenarios that um, have a real mixture of maybe there is a little bit of that technology, but actually sort of understanding that, you know, that might it's not necessarily going to bring bring about a utopia and there might be a lot of sacrifices that people have to make in their lifestyles of future. And that was probably a big shift that I saw.
1: Yeah there's there's a lots of shades between the green utopia and the dystopia and people aren't used to working in that space.
2: Yeah, well, I think that the middle space is the more interesting space to start working in because it's really interesting to think everything's going to be fine. And then there's all the doomsdays that, you know, say go and buy a good sleeping bag. Um and you know, and then in the middle though, I think that's where we have we can have some more interesting conversations about what the future might hold. And um and you know, there can be mixtures of, of those um different elements, but it, it is more about trying to find um I guess the common ground or the, the middle road and open that up for conversation so that people again can start to see those more concrete aspects of the future
1: and do you work them through i'm not sure what tools you would use but some backcasting or something to to how to get there
2: yeah I just I basically work them through a narrative scenario process um, and so we I have a workshop right at the end that sort of steps them through um, the best way to to go about it. Um, the work futures team that uh, we've been working with we've been looking at the future of work out to sort of 2040. We, we use a mixture of Delphi and scenario to develop um, scenarios for it but um, I don't get into that too much in class but I do sort of try and we've kind of looked at the the way to make a plausible scenario and it has you know various elements where it looks at different kind of um, trends that are already occurring and then looks at projections from those trends and then looks at those things that are going to come along and disrupt. And a, and we found when we looked when we asked people about plausible scenarios that they're often a real mixture of those three things. And so I worked through that with the students to get them to think about what is currently sort of happening. What you know, even looking at demographics and predicted demographics, and then projecting some of those things out, and then thinking about okay, what are those things that are going to come along and completely disrupt um, the way we do things and, and change things and add a few of those things and um, as well.
1: Do you think that these things are things that we should be figuring out how to to build a literacy for, so that things like disruptions, like the pandemic, is is not such a shock to people. This this sort of stuff that you've got packaged up into to to the to this teaching is stuff that everybody would benefit from.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, a lot of the you know the the health. Um, People were saying, you know, we've been predicting the, the, this pandemic and they sort of, you know, had, had ideas of, of what to do with it. But a lot of our um, people that make decisions... Um, are often not you know looking that far out or looking at all the different things that could um, possibly happen and in New Zealand I guess we had the beauty of listening to those um, scientists as well Um, but yes I think that there's definitely some tools in there where we start thinking about and opening up discussions around what could possibly happen and that's where the you know the whole idea around scenarios came from was and popularized was around the oil shocks and being able to predict you know Shell predicted the oil shocks and now they're one of the top and they have been for years for doing scenario planning where you sort of raise no idea is too silly and then you sort of you know build a story around that so if that happened what are the consequences of that and you start to and importantly you think systemically you know so you're not just um, focusing on one particular thing but starting to think about the wider implications of things occurring and then looking at what that might happen um, society-wide and I, I think it's a really important tool for people to be thinking about.
3: Bubble sprite of the forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie.
4: Kia ora koutou, namahi arohanoui, kia koutou ko I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope
1: that wherever you are, whatever's happening
4: around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are. A triumph of nature's art. Perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you. So I've had a wonderful weekend, and of course I'm very excited to talk to you all about it. I just love our five minutes together each day. It's really helped me so much over the last several months, and I'm very grateful to Sam, whole Blown Bubbles team for having me. Thank you. So over the weekend, of course, we had the bar based Members Day, which was very exciting. And Rosa and I had organised the the car stickers for everybody, which was really wonderful. And I did six classes, and I've set myself that challenge of doing 70-something classes before the 15th of November. And I really had thought that it would be very hard in the my body wouldn't like it or it would be, you know, too strenuous or whatever, but actually it was amazing and I felt absolutely amazing and my body really enjoyed it and really loved it and I felt incredible for the whole day and I'm so relieved because I'll be doing multiple classes every day for the next two weeks, so just as well that it suits me, so very grateful. And of course, it got me thinking that I'm so lucky to have Bar base as a space because it's very healing and very genuine for everybody, and everybody can come there and just be themselves and do things that are good for them, that are beneficial for them, without having to have any ego stuff or any without having to do anything they just come along and be themselves and everybody can feel that and of course it's the same at Orokanui that it's just a very open and free space where everyone can just come and get benefit of that nature kitchen so I'm very lucky to have these two very healing epicenters in my life and of course I want to cultivate that openness and that freedom in all aspects of my life and my relationships and um it's very beneficial to have it modelled in these environments. So I hope that for you, you have spaces that you can access that are really helpful in this way too, where you can just go and be yourself and do things that help you and feel supported to do that. So of course, it really got me thinking about community and the ecosystem as a whole. Of course, how we are contributing gifts constantly, whether consciously or not, to this vast infinite ecosystem and my beautiful mother over in the UK is having to head into another lockdown you know whilst we have this paradise and this freedom here in Aote-Portestani in our Te Roo Museum so I think it's very important that we really use this time to think of ways that we can help the rest of the ecosystem with what they're going through and we've been supremely fortunate here with obviously how things have unfolded for us, the support that we've had from the government here and anything like that. But also I think that we experienced this lockdown collectively and it has really made some huge changes for everybody, everybody that I talk to. So I think in this time, we can really help the rest of the world by sharing what we have experienced and we help the rest of the world by reassuring them that actually this time of lockdown can be incredibly helpful. So I really hope that for you, if you have whānau around the rest of the world, you are able to connect with them at this time and reassure them. And also that you are finding ways every day to celebrate with yourself. I also really hope that you're finding spaces around you really enjoy being yourself feeling all that love and support that is there for you and i look forward to talking to you tomorrow thanks so much
1: you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with sarah walton sarah we've seen lots of societal changes over the last few months what do you think is going to stick and perhaps more importantly what do you hope will stick
2: and my bubble so I'm not necessarily going to talk too societal, but what we've, what I found in our bubble in our neighbourhood is that people have got to know one another again. Um, we've got to know our neighbourhood, and um, and I think that's really cool. And if one thing could stick, it was that we're kind to one another, and that we look out for one another, and that. What we've done as a country here in terms of join together and have that more collective um, aspect, I think is quite phenomenal. And it seems to be quite unique. There's only been a few places globally that have really taken on that more collective culture where we've been kind to one another and looked out for one another. And I'd really like to see us continue to stick to those kind of ideals. Um, so that has gone you know from my neighbourhood out to the whole of the country, um and definitely we've seen that coming from our you know prime minister leadership down. so i'd I'd love to see that stick.
1: Why do you think it worked here? Not the collective culture, certainly the messaging around that, the team of five million certainly rang a bell. That combined with the the be kind, those two messages together seem to have have worked for us as a country.
2: Yeah, they do, and it, I mean, my parents came to New Zealand in 1973 when I was quite little. So my students who are listening will be able to tell my age now. Um, but they thought they'd arrived in paradise. Didn't lock their door, um, and people again, people talk to one another. They they came from the UK and thought that yeah, you know, really they they talk about that arriving in paradise. And um and you know when you think about across new zealand culture we've always been that slightly i guess you want to call it left or um but we've had that which i would prefer to call collective where we try to look out for ourselves as a society rather than um and we we do as we know we 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 swing around a bit but we tend to still even say center right because we do like to have um some sort of equity in our society and, and I think it hasn't always really been there in many cases, particularly when we think about um, the treaty. Um, so, I'm not, uh, But in general, um, we have a more um, collective, I, I think, identity in, across our culture. Um, yeah, and that's why I think perhaps when this happened, that that... It felt like we sort of harked back to that when we went back to our neighbourhoods and got to know our neighbours and were back to being um, kind to one another. Um, and I just again really like to see that extended and built upon in terms of and you know, really excited by the lineup in our latest um, ministerial roles where we see a greater respect and partnership um, given to Titariti and the treaty um, as well as across our society. I think that's really important for sustainability, massively important for sustainability.
1: You said back to being kind. Were we in danger of losing it? Why was that not the thing already? Maybe it was.
2: Yeah, I don't know. We were in danger of losing it. I think we got really busy. It probably wasn't necessarily that we were being unkind, but we were very um, wrapped up, I think, in in a culture of being busy. Um, and I think we, yeah, the, you, still, you kind of see that still occurring like we've kind of gone back to that where you um i mean just little things where you obviously can't be bothered waiting at a even a pedestrian crossing or a red light these days, you know, um, so you're back to that, you know, I'm I've got to get to where I'm going to, and I'm very very busy, and I don't care about anyone else on the road, um, and you know that I think that sort of went reverberated into a, a lot of what we were doing as a society. So I do think it was back to being kind because I think we did get sort of quite quite wrapped up and definitely away from our communities, um, as well.
1: We've long talked about us being addicted to consumption. And one of the things that this has perhaps shown is that we're also addicted to being busy because lots of us really enjoyed that, that lockdown time because it forced us to not be so busy. And we recognised it at the time. And then we ran straight back to being busy.
2: I know. I know. And I'm guilty of it too. And I really kick myself for it sometimes because I'm like, here I am, back to being, you know, um taking the kids to sport and and doing this and doing that and you just think I really didn't want to do that because it was really nice during lockdown um but somehow you just fall back into those expectations and and running around and yeah I mean I could carry on about that all day about what what I think is wrong with all of that but unfortunately I've just gone and gone back into it as well um I have tried to be a little bit slower but I'm not sure whether I've succeeded. People might say not. My family would probably say not.
1: Are there better business models that would support being less busy?
2: Yeah, well, one thing we did during lockdown, we um, we surveyed about 2,500 people on their experience of working from home. And one of the things which we are quite keen against is the Work Futures team on arguing is around an outcome-focused Model, which is probably not necessarily a business model, but a way to think about how work is done in an organization. And so rather than focusing on the time that people spend sitting in an office or where they're doing their work, actually focus on the outputs or the outcomes of that work and just open up conversations then about flexibility and what actually works for people. It doesn't work for everybody to work at home, but it does work for some people maybe one day a week to be able to have that flexibility to work from home and again be able to take that sort of Take stock during that day, um, hanging out in the trackies like we all did, and um, but still be productive. Which, uh, but be productive in a different way that you've also managed to do a few things around the house in your breaks rather than. Um, us, you know, whatever, you you might talk by the water cooler or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I think that there are different ways we can think about organising our work that works for people. Um, and it's not a one size fits all either. So it's not that everybody should be working from home all the time because that doesn't necessarily work either. But we need to open up conversations around flexibility.
1: What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic, the pandemic response for those Intergenerational, larger scale, perhaps questions, things like climate change, uh, social inequity?
2: Um, Well, we we all adapted very, very quickly to a whole new regime. You know, what was it, three or four days we had to sort of turn around and, and get ready for level four lockdown. If we can adapt that quickly to a pandemic, we can start adapting much more quickly to climate change and we really do need to. We only have nine years to really start to curb some of the key big emissions um, to keep us under two degrees Um, and even that. It seems like we're, you know, losing track of that. So in my mind, I just feel like we can we can do it, but we just have to have that will to be able to do it. That, and um, yeah, but we have the need. We just don't quite have the will to do the same. So I just think we can adapt and we can do things. Um, but yeah, we, we have to have that will behind us to be able to shift. But definitely the emergency and the need is is there.
1: It's an emergency, but it doesn't start next Tuesday.
2: Yeah, and that's part of the problem is this is a really long-term, large-scale, complex, wicked problem, as they call it. And so it can seem too big which gets me back to why these scenarios are so important because it helps to bring things down to the level that people can start to see what the world might look like um, and how things might be able to change um, otherwise things do stay too big and the other thing that I do also get really annoyed about is that it always comes down to the individual level um, so a lot of things get pushed onto that individual responsibility but actually these are systemic issues and yes you I mean, by all means, we all need to do things. Don't get me wrong. But we also need change at a systems level. We need our businesses and our business models to change. And we need our institutions to start changing. um, And we need those things in order to to shift as well. So by all means, um, buy the electric bikes or walk to work and do all those different things. um, But also keep in the back of our minds that we actually need that wider shift. And we need to be pushing for that wider shift all the time.
3: Take them I took you, back your pardon. I took a photograph of you in the herbage's golden It broke the heart of men and flowers and girls and trees. Another rainy day were trapped inside the train set, choked it on the bar.
1: Sebastian another sunny day I have some questions to end the show with what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years
2: well I have to start I guess with um, my children I, I, I think I have two of the most wonderful children they are um, polite and they are um, engaging and that makes me really proud when I'm uh, with my children and um, to think one of my other biggest successes. I'm pretty happy with um, the master's program. I'm really proud of my students because they put their heart and soul into that program and and then they're going on to do some pretty cool stuff Um, and I'm really proud of them. Um, And um, I'm also really excited to be involved in some of the projects Um, at the moment that I'm involved in and so around circular economy and um, climate readiness in the building industry and um, yeah I'm really excited to get to get going with some research and particularly around um, developing and helping in policy um, briefs and you know pushing that policy um, in those areas Um, and yeah bringing about that um, sort of change.
1: It's going to be interesting in terms of that policy to see how fast we can make things happen, because one of the things that we have done is shown that we can do stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, and we're on the way around some circular aspects with um, the stewardship policies that are coming in and new plastics um, policies, hopefully, that are um, going to be introduced. So you can start to see some change, and, and I think that will be really exciting. And I think it's exciting for, for everybody as well, for lots of um, different reasons, as well as the fact that, you know, hopefully um, Aotearoa moves towards more sustainable, um, circular way of operating.
1: So we are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It is our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that has got you into the mansion? I see. Yep.
2: Um I don't know. Maybe my energy. Um, even though I feel a bit tired now as I get older, I, I still think um I like yeah, I like I like to, to be energetic and always to think um op- optimistic I'm I'm always trying to be optimistic. Um, yeah, that will be my probably my my two things, hopefully.
1: How do you manage that optimism? is there a is there a fine line between optimistic and deluded?
2: absolutely and you probably could say i'm deluded as well but i just find it if i'm going to get, if, if i have to stay and talk you know um in a pessimistic way i just have to try and turn it around otherwise it's too hard to do to stand in front of people and and talk about these things unless i'm going to you know try and think that there's going to be some optimistic slant to it and and yeah um Sometimes I do think I'm deluded, like I did. I know recently I wrote a column in the ODT, and I I was talking about um, trying to be kind, actually, to supply chains and use the example of Ocho, to which someone came back and said um, Ocho is way, you know, way too expensive. And then I thought, yeah, I did come across as a bit of a deluded academic as well. Um, But the point was that actually we're probably not paying price for chocolate that we should be. Um, But yeah, so yeah, no, definitely a fine line there. Happy to be either one on a good day.
1: <laughs> do you consider yourself to be an activist?
2: I'm not sure I am, really. I've actually I thought about this. This has come up numerous times. I um I think I'm um too much of an academic in some ways. Like I will, I do see both sides of the story. I think I'm more of a pragmatist, actually. Over the years, I think um, I prefer to um, work in a more pragmatic way. Um, and and think about um, solutions, um, problems, and even if it might not be the most ideal solution, if it works towards a, a company being more sustainable and they keep going with that, then I'd prefer to do something like that than to fight um, them. T- you know, to be in a pos- in this position, you know, straight away. So definitely, probably more pra- pragmatic.
1: What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
2: I like ideas. I love playing with ideas, um, and so my job suits me down to the ground because I can play with ideas. Um, so while I have that um, pragmatic aspect, I actually also really enjoy playing with different theories and um, thinking about things in different ways.
1: And what is the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so?
2: Um, oh, what's my biggest challenge I'm looking forward to in the next year or so? Um yeah, I guess it would be um, for me personally. Um, as I guess putting my thoughts, my my informed thinking based upon research out a bit more. So I've been trying this year to do more opinion pieces and um, more media. Um, and it's not that I, you know, think I should be saying something about everything. But sometimes when I've done some research in the area. Um, I think it's important to add that to the debate out there around these issues. So I guess that's probably going to be my challenge is, is um, continuing to to try and do that and to make sure that I stay relevant in that and provide information for people to be able to think about things in different ways too.
1: And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners?
2: Um, I guess my advice would be built upon what I've been talking about would be to, to do that try. And, and stay um, positive in a world that sometimes doesn't seem like there's many positive aspects in it. Um, but I, I personally think that there are, and I think that there are going to be many challenges, but try to see those as opportunities to do things differently, and particularly to do things better than we have been doing, you know, for the last 50 or so years. Um, and so take it as an exciting time, um, because it's very easy to not see it that way, but if we see it that way, then we grab that opportunity and create, um, and we, you know, use this reset to um, to create better ways of um, maintaining quality quality of life and a more equitable quality of life across our country.
1: Thank you very much for that, Moira? It's um,
0: I'm sitting
2: here thinking about what you've been
0: talking about, and I think of um, this this generation of young people we've got coming through who are spend a lot of time in front of screens the impact of that on their development of their imagination and therefore their critical thinking ability and what you do is more important now I think than than, has, than it's ever been and the, the work that you're doing and in, in helping people to vision um, other options for our futures to that that's where the solution lies to the problems that we have in our community so what you do matters so much and thank you for doing it. Thank you.
1: Thank you for that. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Tiger Polytechnic. We're broadcast on a Tiger Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on OAR.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is obviously the Rolling Stones, just my imagination. I'm Sam Lane in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fokitani, and in Roslyn, Dunedin, Sarah Walton. We hope you enjoyed the show.